dope for planners. Crypto for planners. You are now tuned in to Crypto for Planners. All financial advisors are welcome to Crypto for Planners. Crypto for Planners. Welcome back to the Crypto for Planners podcast, the most interesting CFP in the financial planning industry. Today, we are going off the chain to speak with PlannerDAO member and IDX um, CIO, Ben McMillan. Um, IDX Digital Assets uh, provides risk-managed indices. And uh, Ben, we are so excited to have you. Welcome. Thanks, Justin. Great to be here. Yeah, we, we have to let everybody know that we are both recording from Florida. And right now it is currently about 68 degrees and sunny. Um, just to make the rest of you jealous if you're like in the Midwest or the Northwest or something. So it's nope. you need to know that. But we're not going to the Super Bowl this year, so it's 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 not all good. No, it's it's not, and we're we're still. I still don't know how the game ended the way it did, but that's that's for another <laughs> podcast and a, another conversation. But um, Ben, I, I we got a lot to unpack today. I figure we just jump right in. Um, you know, we we have entered into uh, some new territory for crypto markets, and some are even calling it like this is a crypto winter, winter two point Um Give, give me some perspective about what, what you're seeing. Um, what kind of season do you think we're in and what, what does it even matter or who does it matter most to? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's obviously very timely. I think, you know, one of the big things we saw in terms of kind of regime shift of crypto, um, and I'll preface this by saying, you know, we've, as a firm, we've been very active in, in crypto assets, you know, since 2018 for, for outside clients. I myself have been active in crypto since 2010. Um, I remember the quote unquote bull market of 2011. So, you know, I lived through crypto winter and, you know, what's interesting this time around is I'll even, you know, in the context of our own firm, you know, 2019, we, you know, it was really just early adopters among advisors. Um, our clients are exclusively institutional investors. We don't have any retail clients. <clears throat> And the only folks that were interested in crypto were people that already owned a little bit on a Trezor wallet. You know, they'd been in it for a while. You know, 2020, it was still kind of a curiosity. We weren't seeing real mainstream interest until, you know, interestingly, post-COVID and specifically mm. post-COVID stimulus. And I always point to, it was either the April or May investor letter from Paul Tudor Jones, which is really interesting because he he kind of very bluntly talks about, we've you know, 40% of U.S. dollars were printed in the last couple of months. You know, we as investment managers, as, as fiduciaries, need to respond to that. And he talks right. about, you know, he talks about Bitcoin and it's, it, you know, it's kind of a very interesting, you know, look into his thought process. And, he, you know, he, he likens a lot of the, you know, similar characteristics to gold as the store of value. I mentioned that because that's when we started to see, you know, a real kind of sea change in attitudes of institutional investors to crypto. You know, that's mm -hmm. when I like to tell people, we kind of cross the Rubicon of, all right, this is a curiosity. This is a fringe asset class to, okay, this is real. The, you know, the concerns about inflation are real we need to really look at this. Mm -hmm. And so that adoption has continued to increase. Of course, last year we saw the launch of BITO, you know, the ETF, which raised, you know, a billion dollars basically overnight. Yeah. Um, you know, so the institutional dollars are coming into the asset class. And, you know, a lot of that is driven by not obviously just inflation concerns, but just, you know, this, this concept of Tina, you know, there is no alternative. And so advisors, right. you know, kind of have to look at, at crypto. So, to, you know, to go back to your original question, you know, what does it look like now? Are we in a crypto winter? You know, I don't think we're in a crypto winter like, you know, 2018, where it's going to be a multi-year, you know, protracted drawdown of, you know, 90%. Um, there's just simply, too, you know, too much, too, too, uh, you know, too many more participants. Um, mm -hmm. And so, but that doesn't mean, you know, the volatility is gone. You know, I'll, I'll kind of wrap this thought by saying, you know, one of the big issues we, one of the big questions we always answered early on was people said, yeah, but 
I know crypto is volatile, but don't you think as institutional dollars come in, that volatility will subside? And we've always said, no, I think it's going to be the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, you know, part of that is structural. You know, crypto is, is, is not unlike small cap stocks in which, you know, sometimes the market cap can be, you know, orders of magnitude larger than the float. You know, we, we have, you know, the majority of crypto is, is locked up in wallets or is staked. And so, you know, a very relatively small amount trades at any given point in time, you right. know, as market participants come in, particularly professional investment managers, you know, they're not, they're not going to be as immune to the volatility as, you know, the early adopters from 2010 that, you know, have, have a cost basis of $200. So anyway, it is, I don't think we're going, I don't think we're going back into a, a crypto winter, but, you know, I think we are now in a, a, a point where, you know, the volatility is real, it's here to stay. And that's something that, you know, people in this asset class have to have to contend with. Oh, that's awesome. And I, and I really appreciate you providing the, the, the detail, the background of, you know, just how you have witnessed how these, you know, sort of um, different seasons or markets around, you know, crypto assets have, have evolved. And, um, you know, my, my very, you know, uninformed take is so much of this has formed around sort of the, you know, Bitcoin having cycles and, and some of the very earliest, you know, stock to flow model stuff that sort of came onto the scenes, you know, back in, you know, like you're saying, 2018, 2017 kind of stuff. And we were still, still sort of hinged to some of that kind of thinking. And, um, you know, I, I like you, I, I think that we're just, we're just evolving and into different things. You know, it doesn't mean that the, the volatility isn't going to be there, but for, for us to sort of use past crypto winters or, or different seasons of, of growth cycles to, to sort of explain or help us get a, get a narrative for where we are, I, I just think is a little short-sighted. And um, I don't think it appreciates just how incredibly rapid, um, you know, the, uh, the acceptance of it in institutional realms, really what that really means. And you, you brought up a great point about how institutions don't um, dampen volatility. You know, it, 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 it's not necessarily a correlation of, oh, there's these massive holders who all want it to go up, right? Like um, we're, so, so let's talk for a minute about um, the, the volatility and we, and we can speak about Bitcoin or just digital assets in general. It's up to you. I know you guys do a, a, a tremendous amount of work with, um, you know, Bitcoin ind index funds. Where, where do you see this volatility coming from? Is it coming from the institutional trading? Is it coming from whales, you know, just, you know, trying to keep price within a certain range, like help, help the average advisor understand where, where does digital asset volatility coming from? Yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's really kind of, you can think about it or we think about it um, in, you know, kind of two distinct parts. Um, you know, one is is just, like I said, that kind of that structural phenomenon, you know, that's that's mm -hmm. yep. similar to small cap stocks. You just got, a, you know, the float is, is relatively small, you know, compared to the supply. And so it doesn't take a lot of dollars to really move prices around. Move the price, yeah. Um, and that's that's likely going to stay that way. You know, crypto, the very nature of, of digital assets is such that, you know, they, they are very likely going to be locked up or staked in protocols and things like that. Um, and so that's that's one of the kind of structural underpinnings of volatility. The other one is just, you know, the nature of the technology. You know, we like to liken this back to, you know, Internet stocks back in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of backtrack and talk about, you know, why that's the case. But if you look at, you know, Internet stocks, I'm old enough to remember, you know, the extreme volatility in the 90s. And, you know, it was for similar reasons where a lot of the. You know, there was a lot of hype, uh, but there was a lot of promise to the Internet. You know, if you go back to the early 90s, I mean, again, I, I remember when the idea of a website was novel and there were people saying, well, well, 
you know, not every company is going to have a website. That's crazy. And of course, fast forward 10, 20 years, you know, right. the, the internet is ubiquitous in ways that, you know, we couldn't have even anticipated. And so you're seeing, you know, a similar type of um, behavior around digital assets because it's becoming evident, um, you know, and, and we're, you know, we are first and foremost, you know, asset managers, or as I like to say, mm-hmm. we're first and foremost researchers. Our, our main business is asset management, but we do develop. We've got Solidity programmers. We're developing DApps. We're we're more ingrained in in kind of under the hood, you know, development than uh, you know probably your your average your RA or asset mm-hmm. manager. And you know, I, I mentioned that because you know as it relates to that, what we you know what was interesting was, um, you know, a lot of the you know when Bitcoin launched, it was really kind of just peer to peer trustless payments. You know, Ethereum launched in 2015 to allow this idea of smart contracts for a lot higher utility on a decentralized blockchain. And a lot of that was really interesting, but it was very academic until about 2020 when you started seeing real applications be built. You know, Mm -hmm. 2021, we saw the lightning upgrade, the taproot upgrade. You know, I don't want to kind of bore the listeners with with what those are, but it, it moved Bitcoin further along the utility curve. And so, you know, now you're starting to see, you know, very real, real world use cases in the form of, you know, different DeFi protocols, you know, Visa, you know, payment systems starting to leverage the blockchain. And so I mentioned that because again, like internet stocks, you know, you've, you've got this, this promise of kind of, you know, high future growth that, you know, itself is very sensitive to, you know, to things like macro. Um, you mm-hmm. know, if you look back yeah. in early part of this year and we started seeing kind of the CPI prints, you know, crypto assets traded like very high multiple, you know, NASDAQ tech stocks, you know, because a lot of that growth is, you know, in the future, therefore, you know, the slightest change in interest rates can, you know, change the, the, the mm-hmm. DCF to, uh, a lot. And so those, you know, to your point about, you know, where's the volatility coming from, you know, those are kind of two structural underpinnings. The, the third that I would add is, you know, we're just having more entrants come into the market and specifically it's the type of entrant. So to your point, I mean, that was an excellent point. You know, anybody kind of pre 2019 was an early enthusiast. You know, they're not they're not a professional money manager. Generally, right. they're not marking to market. They're not picking up the phone calls and, you know, answering to clients when Bitcoin's down 50 percent, um, you know. I've, I know people that have, you know, hundreds of Bitcoins that have been locked in a Trezor wallet for 10 years. They couldn't care yeah. less if the price is 60 grand or 30 grand. They're still up a zillion percent. You know, the guys that are, you know, the institutions that are coming in, you know, at near all time highs are marking the, you know, marking the market every month. They're very sensitive. They're managing money. You know, oftentimes Bitcoin is, is now sitting within the, the confines of a 6040 portfolio. And so they've got clients, they've got, you know, they're managing volatility. The volatility for them is real. You know, it's not, a, it's not yeah. theoretical. And so, you know, they're also therefore, you know, more, more likely to sell. Um, they're more like, you know, uh, when things get bad, you know, they don't, if, you know, drawdowns go down to 30, 40, you know, 60%, they're more likely to sell at the bottom and just kind of, you know, reallocate elsewhere where again, you know, the guy from five years ago is just sitting in a treasure wallet. So anyway, you've got kind of these, yeah. kind of those three pillars of volatility, which I think are structural, you know, the float issue, kind of, you know, just the technology issue itself being a volatile asset class. And then, you know, the adoption coming from now institutional investors who themselves are more likely to be active traders, I think is going to, um, you know, contribute to this volatility profile going forward. No, I think that's, that's tremendous insight into how institutions view, you know, these, these money management decisions, you know, so many times advisors were, were, were sort of in the weeds with clients, we're in the trenches. And, you know, depending upon how long you've been in this industry and where your experiences come from, I, I think sometimes it's really a challenge for uh, the average advisor to understand the mindset of a large institution, a large fund. 
they they have rules that govern how they rebalance and how they take profit. And it's it's not just a I believe in this technology, therefore I'm going to hold through any kind of market, you know, drawdown or any kind of event. That it's it is a very structured approach because, like you said, they are they are managing this thing on you know daily, weekly, monthly basis. That is just different from the earliest adopter. And it's funny you mentioned that. I, I have my, my first experience in the industry was someone who was mining Ethereum, and to this day, that's exactly what you described. They could care less what the price is. They are early technology adopters. They, they love everything that the, you know, the hope and promise, they don't even check the price. It's, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant to them. We do not have those kind of entrance into this market now. And so again, it goes back to, I think what we both said in the beginning, and that is we're, we're just in a different season. It's in trying to use sort of old templates to understand, you know, where we are just are, are just not going to paint the whole picture. Exactly. Exactly. And it's also too, I think, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting as, you know, as people like us, fiduciaries start entering the market, you know, a lot of it now is going back to kind of expectations management, you know, because one of the things we've, mm -hmm. we've been pounding the table yeah. on from day one, you know, even our early clients that started coming in in 2019, when we started managing outside capital, you know, we were pounding the table on risk, 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 risk control. And, you know, specifically what I would say is, you know, this is an asset class, which is no stranger to 50% or greater drawdowns. And the reason that's important is because the, the math of drawdowns really starts to work against you when you get north of 50%. Um, you know, it's the old kind of CFA 101 example where <laughs> yeah. if you're down 5%, you only need to be, you know, up whatever, 5.2% to get back yeah. to break even. You know, if you're down 50%, you have to double your money. And so now, we, you know, and we're seeing that right now. You know, we were, I mean, they're off the bottom. Bitcoin's off the bottom now, obviously. But, you know, just since, uh, uh, you know, early November when Bitcoin kind of topped out in, in you know, mid-60s, you know, that was basically a 50% drawdown. And so, you know, people yeah. were contending real time with the idea of like, oh my gosh, what do I do down here? Do I just punt? Do I ride it back? Um, they've got to, you know, they've got to double their money to get back to break even. And so I think... <clears throat> I mentioned that because that's a reality that just, you know, candidly doesn't really exist in traditional asset classes. You know, even in mm -hmm. 2008, you know, equities, high growth equities, I mean, maybe, you know, some of the, you know, some of the higher growth, you know, tech stocks have 50% drawdowns. But, you know, the, the reality of a 50% of a or 60% or 70% drawdown, you know, being an, an annual occurrence, I think isn't fully appreciated by the fiduciary community. And so, again, that's why we've always been very, you know, pounding the table on, you know, taking a risk managed approach. That's our specialty. You know, not that that's, you know, the best approach for everybody or the only approach, but it should be a tool in the toolkit, particularly for, you know, wealth managers, advisors, because, you know, this is like right. managed features in the early 70s. Right. Um, and that's that's a fascinating point. Um, something that I think, again, the, the advisor community has to start having these conversations to, understand sort of what the asset class really is and what it what it means for for you know individual investors talk to me about sort of this um that idea of sort of changing risk tolerance and um you know one of the conversations that that, that i'm having with with some people are about are are certain are crypto markets making investors numb to traditional risk tolerance measurements. You know, we, we, we have this, uh, this idea that it goes up 50%, it goes down 50%. It's, you know, it can go up 80%. And these, these just gargantuan size gains and losses, these, these, these massive movements we've just never really seen before. And so one of the, the, the conversation pieces we're having is 
it, is this asset class changing how we view risk tolerance or is this just maybe like a very specific sort of client that just, you know, maybe breaking some of the, the old traditional molds that we have around, you know, that their, their behavioral response to losses, you know, that we've kind of yeah. you know, really adopted. I'm just curious to get your, your thoughts on our, you know, do we have a new generation that's going to redefine what risk tolerance really is? You know, it's interesting. I think, you know, a lot of that too, and, you know, we get, we get a lot of interesting feedback from our clients, which, like I said, is largely either institutions, kind of pensions endowments types or, or other RIAs. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear what the retail client is telling them, you know, through their lens. And, you know, one thing we've observed is it, it definitely skews by age. You know, the younger generation, mm, yeah. you know, whatever the magic number is, call it early thirties and below or, you know, in their twenties, you know, these are, these are generally folks whose you know first experience investing is probably on something like a Robinhood app and probably in something like Dogecoin, and you, you know which is a completely fascinating and bizarre kind of socioeconomic you know um, study in and of itself. You know this idea of kind of you know cultural significance of forget about NFTs, just cultural significance of meme stocks or meme coins or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And so to you know to them, and they're also younger in their life cycle, so there's a whole you know host of economic reason rationales for why they're you know more immune to you know big volatility swings and you know and, and that's what we hear from our advisors is that's part of it is you know the younger clients just want to you know quote unquote yolo into crypto and not worry about right. it it's you know but it's the older clients the higher net worth clients that are interested in the asset class and you know even that seems to break down into kind of two different camps you know one is the, you know the curiosity the tire kicker you know they want crypto so they can talk about it in the golf course or whatever just yeah. you know because everybody else is doing it the fomo factor you know, but then there are those who are, who are, you know, they're really looking back to that point about, you know, Tina, there is no alternative. You know, they're looking at equity valuations, you know, looking at, at bond valuations, which are, you know, concerning, you know, within the context of a potentially, you know, uh, multi-year uh, rising rate environment. And, you know, at that point, you're kind of forced into looking at, you know, other asset classes, you know, even yeah. if, you, if you look at gold as a proxy, I mean, there's a lot of people that are kind of going, you know, gold was out of favor for years. And now you're seeing a lot of people go back to gold and say, all right, should we take a look at this or commodities? And so Bitcoin's kind of, you know, kind of in there. And for, the, you know, for those people, and that's where I think a lot of the dollars now are coming, you know, mm -hmm. for, for them, they're, you know, they're not immune to the volatility. Um, you know, it's, it's, again, it's sitting in a 60, 40 portfolio along a lot of other sleeves. And there's a slide I always like to show where it's the, you know, the, the rolling annualized volatility of, you know, Bitcoin versus a bunch of other high vol asset classes like oil, gold, you know, emerging market currencies. And the Bitcoin line is just orders of consistently orders of magnitude right. higher than the rest. There was like one period in 2016 for like two months where oil volatility spiked higher than Bitcoin. But, you know, but then it was it was, you know, back to the races. And, yeah. you know, that's just a different that is a different reality. And so I think it's a lot of I mean, we we do. A, it's, it's funny, too. I'll, I'll kind of wrap this up by saying. You know, we talked to a lot of advisors and we kind of, you know, pitched the benefits, what we believe the benefits of a risk managed approach and kind of volatility harvesting and, you know, asymmetric participation and, and volatility regimes. You know, one thing I'll mention about Bitcoin that is unique is that, you know, in traditional markets, most of volatility is, is downside volatility. Um, right. you know, whereas Bitcoin, you know, you, ha you have a lot of upside volatility, which therefore, you know, presents an interesting opportunity set with which to kind of asymmetrically participate in those two, those two regimes. And so anyway, my point in that, that whole thing is, you know, so we're kind of espousing, you mm -hmm. know, benefits of that. But oftentimes what we get is, okay, can, you know, just educational, you know, RAs will say, all right, can you just, 
you know, do a Bitcoin 101, you know, seminar for our clients, get them up to speed. And it's, you know, and, and help frame the context with which they should be thinking about this, you know, as, as, a, as an asset class, you know, and show the charts of the, you know, the rolling volatility that's 10 times higher than every other asset class. So I do think, I think that's an important component of it. And that's one of the reasons, you know, we were er- big early fans of PlannerDAO was because it was, mm-hmm. you know, a really good developed effort to educate not just on what digital assets are, what a Bitcoin is, what an Ethereum is and why it's important, but also, you know, let's really start to ingrain in fiduciaries that, you know, this is a different type of volatility structure and, you need, you, you, need, you know, you really need to pay attention to that. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's you make you make a great point, and and something that I think we're just still so, so early in understanding is that you know, you you really have to have a, a clear idea of who your client is, you know, what their planning needs are, and how digital assets can assist in those those goals. You know, so often this stuff is detached from real planning. You know, and, and you, know, you mentioned both of us were in were in Florida, and so you know. My client base, you know, we skew much older, you know, in our age demographic. And so, um, you know, what you mentioned about managing some of that volatility is very real. And they're approaching digital assets, not from this idea of revolutionary tech that's going to just, you know, transform, you know, access and, and, you know, things like, and that granted, that's why I love it. But the reality is for them, they, they really are approaching it more from the, the lens of what you're describing is that, there's just not a lot of other alternatives that can give me the the sort of, you know, inflation protection, you know, long term. And so that's that's a different, you know, client with a different set of behavioral understandings of risk um, that that need to be exposed to the asset class, but but need to do it in a, in a different way than just put it in your wallet, stake it and forget it. Um, so help help. Help an advisor understand, you know, more specifically, you know, you've mentioned a lot of the things that IDX does a really good job with. Um, help them understand how some of the, the different funds and indexes you guys um, have can can help with that retired client who needs to be aware of that volatility. Yep. So our, you know, our ethos as a firm is all about. Uh, helping clients take smart risks. So we're very clear that, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not, we're not anti-risk. We're not low risk. It's just about, you know, helping clients take the highest compensated risk. Um, You know, the idea of risk premium, obviously, you know, every asset class has a a premium associated with kind of underwriting the risk of that asset class. You know, we have the benefit. We all came out of the hedge fund, the quantitative hedge fund landscape. And so, you know, we were very focused on, you know, everything is rules-based. Everything is systematic. Everything is evidence-based. We do, you know, we spent probably, you know, more time than I'd care to admit reading white papers, writing white papers, just doing grunt research. And what comes out of that is that, you know, the, the, the body of academic literature literally goes back a hundred years, kind of giving us tools and insights with which how to, you know, navigate different asset classes. And one of them is, is volatile, you know, volatile asset classes. And in fact, you know, I, I referenced the managed futures industry. I mean, it goes back, you know, decades post Bretton Woods when the dollar came unpegged, it kind of unleashed this, you know, mm-hmm. new volatility landscape. And that was, you know, a really kind of fertile training ground where for early academic theory to be put into practice. And so my point with all that is, you know, we have a lot that we can rely on to help, help us navigate this, this asset class. Specifically, what we do is, is, you know, risk managed indices and then, you know, funds that track those risk managed indices. So the idea is simply stated is that there's kind of two ways you can think about the risk. And you, re- I want to go back to a good point you made about the planning aspect. You know, we don't, we don't do any of that, but we face off with a lot of planners and we hear a lot of planners kind of voice concerns or how they're thinking about 
this with clients. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of two ways to manage the risk. One is you can just size it. You know, you can have a static long only position. You can just size it appropriately within the portfolio. Um, the other is, you know, you can with within that allocation, you can do something other than long only. You can you can you know tactically manage that net exposure according to some rule set. And that's what that's what we endeavor to do is, you know, yeah. funds and, and, and indices that will manage net exposure. The way we do that, simply stated, just, you know, again, there's tons of literature on our website. You know, we actually just published a paper in the Journal of Investing. It was a collaborative paper with uh, Johns Hopkins Department of Cognitive Science looking at natural language processing. But the point is, you know, very simply stated. Um, you know, we look to segregate the volatility regime of Bitcoin, of Ethereum, whatever the digital asset is into, you know, kind of those compensated environments and uncompensated environments, and then just shift the net exposure accordingly. And, yeah. you know, you can, again, you know, relying on literally a hundred years of academic literature, you know, empirical based, you know, evidence-based literature, you can do, you know, you can do that in such a way that it truncates the left tail of that distribution pretty reliably. Um, you know, what do you have to give up? Well, you have to give up some of the upside. Um, but if you can do that in an asymmetric fashion, you know, if you're, if, if you're just long only, you know, any asset, but in this case, let's call it Bitcoin, you know, if you're, you have a, a static position, you have hundred percent of the upside, hundred percent of the downside. Well, if you can have a rule set that, you know, treats volatility regimes differently, um, you know, then maybe if you can capture 60 to 70% of the upside and then participate in less than half the downside, you know, all of a sudden that you're able to manufacture kind of a convex payout profile, something like a call option. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so anyway, that's that's the point of our indices. That's what we try to do. You know, we launched a risk managed Bitcoin mutual fund last year, uh, um, BTIDX, which, you know, ironically has been in cash since it launched um, until this week. We just went back long because now we're getting back into, a you know, a, a, mm -hmm. what our models are, are defining as a compensated you know, risk regime. And so, anyway, the reason I mention all that is because those are kind of the, when we talk to CFPs and CFAs, you know, all planners, those are kind of the tool tools is like, all right, I can I can either take just as long only allocation and size it, you know, appropriately small, or I can, you know, take a, a risk managed allocation, you know, maybe size it a little bit larger because, the you know, the, 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 the risk, risk is right. lower. Or oftentimes we tell people, you know, combine the two, um, you know, think right. of them as two ends of the efficient frontier. You know, we're not saying one is better than the other. We're just saying you should have, you know, both in your toolkit. And then depending Absolutely. on the client's risk tolerance, you can literally, you know, just shift along the efficient frontier by, you know, changing allocations to the two. But that's, you know, that's really what we're trying to get after is that we don't, there's no reason that clients should be stuck with only having to deal with a long only allocation um, because, you know, we have the tools, you know, academia, Wall Street has the tools to help us navigate volatile landscapes. So let's use them. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really well said. You know, again, when when your 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 client base is just in a different place than 30 with, you know, no kids and, you know, a crazy tech income to, you know, sustain and support them, you you need a different tool set. And, and I love um, that IDX does that sort of tactical management for you because Again, for when I'm dealing with retirement planning for, for clients, you know, you're, you're up against some impossible tasks of, I have to make this money last for the next, you know, 20 to 30 years because we don't know how long they're going to live. Um, there's absolutely no fixed income options or alternatives. 
And, you know, you're looking for assets that are, you know, non-correlated and do different things than just having, you know, quote unquote, safe value dividend kind of equity things. And so having the the capability of having that tactically managed, um, you know, position is just, it's incredible. And and I'm, I I can't wait for us to continue to develop the, the research and the material that can show, look, this is what this does to, you know, a, an average 60-40 portfolio. And, and, you know, I know we're, we're, um, you guys have a lot of that um, tremendous resource and, and research done, um, you know, but we're just so early in it. You know, I can't wait to be able to show, hey, listen, we have we have a long enough timeline now that can, um, you know, demonstrate and show, you know, the value of having, you know, something like a tactically managed, um, you know, a Bitcoin position. Um, you know, we're, we, we don't want to kill everyone's time and, and, and vibe here, Ben, but um, I, I just... I really appreciate what IDX is doing to um, provide an on-ramp um, for you know more more clients to get into and experience you know what digital assets can do for their portfolios. Um, if you were going to just help an advisor get more information, get more um, you know whether more confident in and how they can help asset allocation decisions, where where would you send them? What what would you um, what kind of resources would would you point them to? Um. So we've got, if you just go to um, btidxfund.com, um, that's the that's the fund page. But there's from there, there's good links into research, um, you know, the papers that we've written, and, you know, all the information about kind of the, the process. And then the, the research page is just idxdigitalassets.com. And that's where we have, you know, tons of research videos, um, you know, links to the papers, like, you know, the one I just mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, we, we, spend, we spend a lot of time and effort doing research, writing papers, and, you know, 90% of it is, you know, never makes it into the, you know, into into practice, but, you know, that's right. why I do it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and like I said, you know, we're, we consider ourselves a research shop first and foremost, so all our indices are are, you know, calculated by S&P, um, available on their website. We encourage people to, you know, download the data, drop it into, you know, their, their, uh, you know, stress testers or portfolio testers. We're happy to do that for folks. Um, you know, like you said, this is, you know, similar to planner now, you know, we, we kind of pride ourselves on being in the education game, the research game, and just really helping grow awareness about the asset class. And like I said, you know, we're very clear that, you know, we don't believe a you know a risk managed approach is the only way to participate in the asset class, but it's it should be a tool for advisors. Um, you know, yeah. So no, and and thanks so much. I think you you kind of glossed over it earlier, but one of the things I love is just how passionate you are about the the technology and having actual developers in your ecosystem, in your fund. Like this isn't just an asset allocation opportunity for you guys. You're not just seeing us as, oh, like this is another new thing that Wall Street can do what they typically do with. Like you you are all in on understanding the the potential of you know what digital assets and crypto and, and smart contracts and, and all those things can do. And, and that's that's one of the reasons I really appreciate you guys because it's again this isn't just another fund opportunity to to add to your you know family of of options. It's um, you, you guys are really passionate about the space and developing it. And so I really appreciate your time today, Ben. And um, we we're actually going to um, add some show links to the different um, the the digital assets research page and the the BT fund index that you mentioned. Um, so feel free to, to click on those and check out IDX. And uh, Ben, I'll give you the last word and then I'll wrap this up. 
No, I mean, thanks again. This was a great chat. Like I said, I mean, we're, we're big believers in just kind of participating in the educational community. So that's why we were huge. We are huge fans of what the planner, what planner DAO community is doing, especially as a DAO. You know, that's a whole separate talk, but that's, that's the <laughs> right way, I think, to kind of educate and bring advisors into the space. And, you know, that's that's the future. So we're, we're just thrilled to be, you know, working alongside you guys and contributing to it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Ben, for your time. Uh, and everyone, thanks for joining us on the Crypto for Planners podcast, the most interesting CFP in the world. Stay crypto, my friends.